Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. Now, the Magi. We're going to talk about the Magi for a moment because their gifts are symbolic to the purpose of the invitation. So if we're talking about an invitation, we want to know to what. Now, you can read about the Magi and the early chapters of Matthew and Luke. And remember, when the angels herald the birth of Jesus, they say peace and goodwill on earth towards all people upon whom the favor of God rests. This is my paraphrase. The Magi come and they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this is a couple years later when Jesus and his parents are in exile. They're displaced, basically living in Egypt, hiding for his life so that the Herod, the king of the time, doesn't off him as he murdered, he massacred innocents. He massacred all the little boys two and under when Jesus was born because the Magi let it slip that they were on their way to see this new king who was born. And Herod is so delusional, he doesn't want a child 20 plus, give or take, years from now to displace him. And so he kills all the boy children. And this is definitely not a platform for invitation. (laughs) So when they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I think, well, what is that all about? Gold? Think about the scriptures, or even you can do a study. You can do it through Google or through a concordance or the index in your Bible. And if you don't have one, please message us. We can set you up with one. Uh, the gold talks about being in a refiner's fire that God purges out all the impurities, right, through our trials. And we also know of gold in the Bible, for example, in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, when he has a statue erected of himself and the people who are jealous of of Daniel and such, they they sort of manipulate the situation and whoever doesn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar gets thrown into the fiery furnace. And so you can read about this in Daniel one and Daniel four. And so we have that situation where someone is again, not unlike Herod, thinking that they can have the authority to kill people to somehow, and it's not even a connection, somehow secure the the authority that they already had. Makes no sense, right? But this is the loftiness of the misuse of gold. We also know of gold being misused by the people of God when they had just exodus out of Egypt. And Moses is gone for 40 days or so on the mountain, writing out the Ten Commandments with God, having this really high heaven moment, right? Comes down, complete disorder. They, they're like, our leader is gone. Everything falls apart. And so Aaron, who is the high priest of figure of that time, and, and it could be also arguably Moses, but he was gone. And so they talk Aaron into giving them something to worship, <laughs> Moses is gone, therefore we can't talk to God. Our priest figure is gone. We can't talk to God. Make us something else. We're insecure. We're in the middle of nowhere. We have no idea how to build a society. We were slaves for 400 years. So let's just like, you know, make us something to worship like we saw in Egypt. So they make 
a golden calf. So there's that story you could read about in the book of Exodus. Then we also have gold mentioned in Revelation for the streets of gold. It's such a pure gold, it looks like glass. And not related to this topic today, I love the mention of the emerald rainbow ring around the throne of God, by the way. That's going to be gorgeous. So that's gold. Now they bring frankincense. Frankincense is what we get a boswellia out of. It's an extract that helps with, you know, healing bones and whatnot. And the idea here, as I interpret it, that there's no broken bones in the sacrifice of Jesus, that this is prophesied of him, that he would have no broken, broken bones. And when he died on the cross, they did not break his legs. They pierced his side with a spear and out came water and blood. So that is hugely symbolic and worthy of its own books and its own podcast episodes. Jesus, the Passover lamb, again back in Exodus, when he saves the Israelites, the angel of death passes over to destroy the firstborn in Egypt as the last plague to free the people of God from their enslavement. And so the people put the blood of the lamb on the, the doorpost and the angel of death sees that and passes by and therefore firstborns are saved. A lot of metaphor here, a lot of symbolism. Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man. And then, of course, my personal favorite out of Ezekiel, the scriptures also out of Psalms, Psalm 92 to 94, how God, being near to God, revives our bones, makes our bones so, that were so very dry, some green, and we can bear fruit in old age. And I think of the promise in scriptures that God will carry us. It is I who will carry you even to old age. I will carry you. And isn't that so beautiful? A motherly, maternal figure almost, and a fatherly one too, carrying us throughout our lives. Very much the story of a, a wee story of a gospel heritage. It starts with Emmanuel, God with us, carrying us through our lives. So that's frankincense. And then myrrh, they bring myrrh. And myrrh is known as an essential oil, as the seed of our emotions. The pituitary and hypothalamus glands, the amygdala, the seed of our emotions, the seed of, you know, this uh, sense of, now wait for it, this is amazing. The hypothalamus is part of the brain that is known to control, regulate hunger and thirst and autonomic function in our body. And the amygdala is the center of the brain known to manage fear responses. And my personal favorite, the pituitary, the secretion and management of hormones, a synthesis of hormones, right? <laughs> the dozens of hormones that our body uses to regulate sleep, hunger, reproduction, and other. This is so amazing, the synthesis of those, the synthesis of these. This is the key word here, the synthesis, not unlike the word I use for integration. Integration is the act of synthesizing, the act of bringing together, the act of integration as the act of combining parts to be an integral whole. And so, the sense that things are not whole without this integration. I just love this symbolism of myrrh for the seed of our emotions. And 
a while ago in this episode, a moment ago, I mentioned that emotion regulation and negotiation are skills that involve the seed of our emotions. And the mirror is known to sort of help with this. So in other words, what does this all mean? Combining the gifts of the Magi. These are wise, studied people who traveled for months to, to meet this new king that was foretold that they saw in the stars, ironically, that the people of Jesus' own hometown missed. They scoffed him for being a, a carpenter's son and an illegitimate one that they accused him of being an illegitimate child, which is saying a lot because this is a whole other topic I go into in my books. Jesus being the son of God and the son of man was an empathetic exercise, yes, for his positional authority, but also an, a basis, a foundation for our identity as people of God, making us effectively adopting us into, with he as a firstborn, the family of God. So we become legitimate, in other words, and that is such a, a nasty word in a way. We become authentic heirs of God. We are co-heirs of Christ, Scripture says. So what does this all mean? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the wisdom of Jesus. This wisdom answers the angel's cry, the herald's cry for peace on earth and goodwill toward all people because of the healing ministry of Christ. Without this healing ministry, there is no possibility for a we story of a gospel heritage. There is no possibility for peace or goodwill. And ironically, just to put tension in, Jesus did say he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring division. In other words, that he knew people would argue about who he was. They were already doing it, and they had done it before to the prophets. And he warned his followers, one of the costs of following me is, while you will receive many blessings, you will also endure many persecutions as people despise you for my name's sake. One passage in the Psalms that comforted me describes David's lowest, lowest point. He says, why? These people, I'm kind to them. I'm loving. They were sick. I did a meal drop. (laughs) I sent them food. I cared for them. I helped them. I did nice things. And now I'm having a hard time and they are mocking me. They despise me. And he goes down this long list, basically thinking he's going to die. And at the end of it, as is the pattern in the Psalms, he turns it around to some kind of praise, some kind of recognition of God. And he says, but I know that this is because the glory of God, the presence of God, in other words, is upon me. They knew that the Lord was with him, and that was why they despised him. So if you're in a situation where you've been forsaken in some way, you've not been shown a healing ministry of favor. People aren't ministering to you. They don't seem to care about your welfare, even though you've been loving to them, even though you've engaged in a healing ministry, whether that's attempting generational repair or helping them through a hard time, but they have not reciprocated. Listen, people, as being finite, we cannot carry this healing ministry for long. It's a heavy weight. It's why Jesus said, carry your cross. We can't carry everyone else's. Only he can. 
And if you are on the other side of that, where you are engaging in harm of someone, you're effectively using them as your martyr. You're effectively putting your sin on them, expecting them to carry it instead of learning to regulate that emotion, instead of learning to negotiate for what you want in a constructive solutions-based manner, you are cheating the system, you're cheating yourself, you're vampiring a soul out of somebody else. And our only comfort in that is Jesus' promise in John 17 that no one can snatch us out of God's hand, that those who are truly the Lord's children, no one can snatch them away for good, forever. For a moment, yes, but not forever. For a lifetime, maybe, but not for eternity. So what are we inviting people to as people of God? If we're accusing people, you get lost in the details, and I'm sure that you may have encountered, and I'm not the only one, a conversation or an argument where the details are being debated instead of understanding being dialogued or solutions being put forward. Scriptures say to confess your sins to each other and be healed. This is out of James 5.16, which is an antidote to James 3.16, which we talk a lot about in these episodes, which is the whole basis for chaos and disorder and strife is jealous self-interest. That is the only insatiable appetite that Satan had that triggered his revolt against God and his temptation, which he projected that dissatisfaction onto the people of God, the first couple, namely, and we see the result. Now, the Magi gifts, these bring healing, the symbolic of the healing ministry of Christ, and so fulfill the angel's herald for peace on earth and goodwill toward all people upon the whom the favor of God rests, not the favoritism or any ism. In my books, I go at length into ostracism, especially at the beginning of book one, the brown book, and the green, green book, the book on safe love, the second book. I go a lot into ostracism. And what I want to point out here, going back to the gift of the Magi of Myrrh, 1 John four eighteen and 19 says, Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with judgment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. What is not judgment but being forsaken, being cut off? Heavenly Father, you are good all the time. We praise you for your good. Whoever comes to you must believe that you exist and richly bless all who call on you, that your family is one of many tribes, tongues, and nations. Jesus, that you are building a house for us in which because of which, the hope of which, we do not have to let our hearts be troubled or afraid. This is out of John 14. We have something and someone to look forward to where God is going to gather the remnant, the nations. And as it says in Isaiah, whose children has begotten me these? Who, who has begotten me these children? Whose children are these? Like He will restore every love and life and kith and kin that could have, would have, should have been, or was, and he will do it for those whose name are written in the book of life and whose name is written in our hearts as he instructed the people of God in Deuteronomy to make symbolic tassels. They were supposed to mean not a symbol of their positional authority, but that God was with them, that 
the presence of God is what gives us victory, what empowers us to overcome these challenges in our lives so that we can transform a pit of despair that King David talked about often into a healing ministry straight out of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and remember his benefits, who forgives all of our iniquities, who heals us from all of our diseases, who redeems our life from the pit, who crowns us with loving kindness and compassion and renews our strength like the eagles. And the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Interestingly enough, how ostracism connects to inflicts oppression on people. It limits their potential and therefore it doesn't heal. It harms. Healing lifts people up, empowers them to thrive and move forward to continue. I go into this in book three in the blue book on the healing ministry of Jesus as the mainstay for what we have to look forward to, to kingdom come. So what does this all mean? Invitation or accusation. When we are talking with someone, are we going to frame our negotiation? Repair always starts with repentance. Are we going to frame our negotiation with the gospel message? Are we going to invite them to something redemptive? Are we going to Speak in a way to ask, can we begin anew? Can we reset this conversation? I don't understand it. I understand something went off the rails or awry or I hurt you in some way. I want to make it right. I care about you. I love you. I want to be included in this situation and I felt excluded. Why is it so hard to say those things? But this is the basis, the language of what it means to regulate our emotions and negotiate for what we want to get to a place where we are telling people where it is safe enough to tell people how we feel. And there's no defensiveness. Now, remember, defensiveness is the flip side of accusation. If you're defensive, it is often implying an accusation on the other person because by the nature of it, the the pendulum, the metaphor of the pendulum will swing as high at, from the place from which it was let go, from which it was released. So if we say a sharp word, expect a sharp response. Scripture says this too. It's all over Proverbs. That a kind word lifts up an anxious heart. It doesn't bring it down. And so we have power in our words and our invitations to communicate death or life, to communicate faith, hope, and love, and peace and goodwill and neighborliness, or the death of those things. What about you? What do you want healed who do you want healed? How do you want it to go down? How do you want healing to take place? The method of healing needs to match the goal of healing. We can't have a- accusational, harmful methods and expect healing. There has to be alignment, and there needs to be an integration of the goals of God for peace and goodwill. Now listen to this, this armor of God. If we're believing we are rushing into some kind of battle. The scriptures in Ephesians talk about the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the belt of truth, and the feet shod with the gospel of peace. 
interestingly, that connection that we run on towards the safety and power of gospel heritage harkens back to that herald of peace and goodwill, that that was the invitation of God, peace and goodwill through the healing ministry of his son, Jesus, as was honored and at least noticed and gifted by the Magi with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the healing ministry of Christ that binds up our wounds, a bruised reed he will not break. He is close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. And we see throughout the Gospels, reading through all of the people Jesus healed, all of the women and children Jesus healed or raised from the dead, all of the comfort and those healing acts triggered by his compassion. That is so powerful that the Son of God and Son of Man would engage a healing ministry, and that is what he's inviting us towards kingdom come. So what about you? What hope for your future do you hold for healing? And how about ask God for that today? Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this time together to talk about your son, Jesus, and the joy it brings just to think about him and the service that we can do in his honor, that you are the giver of these gifts. Let us love you and prize you more than the gifts themselves. And let us, with your wisdom, steward these gifts wisely, these healings that you bring, these gifts of the Spirit, these gifts of treasures of people in our life of the generations. We pray for your mending. We pray for your mercy. And we thank you and we love you and bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below. And inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree.